Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, 2023. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 1st, 2023 are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting share ID is 20897. 20897. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, share ID number is 20898. 20,898. This morning, A Vision for You presents What Makes Us a Distinct Entity. Addiction of any kind is a life-shattering, existence-disrupting force. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous was written as a set of instructions, information that outlines the disease. It is a textbook. The presentation on this day will clearly outline the phenomenon of what sets us apart as a distinct entity. That difference between an overeater, undereater, and the real deal compulsive overeater Utilizing the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous and specifically the doctor's opinion, we will learn even more comprehensively the manifestation of characteristics for those with a disease of compulsive overeating. If you are ambivalent in any way, you can now decide for yourself before this time of day ends. The big book throughout its pages is noticeably clear on this matter. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today who brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in understanding the intricate journey of recovery as, a de- as detailed in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our speaker today will delve into the critical aspects of the doctor's opinion, a cornerstone in the understanding of addiction as an illness. This opinion highlights the allergy of the body that many face in their struggle with the disease of compulsive overeating, shedding light on why abstinence is not just a choice, but a necessity for those afflicted. Our speaker will explore how the big book articulates this this concept using the doctor's opinion, pointing out uh, to the allergy of the body and the and entire abstinence, emphasizing the importance of recognizing the physical and psychological aspects of addiction. This understanding is crucial in acknowledging why mere willpower is often insufficient and why a spiritual solution is necessary for lasting recovery. It describes the unique distinction. The talk today will not only focus on understanding, but also on the practical application of these principles in daily life. The journey from the depths of addiction to a life of spiritual fulfillment and sobriety is challenging, yet promised to all who seek and work recovery. Our speaker, through his experience, his extensive experience and deep understanding of the Big Book's teachings, will guide us through this transformative process. Please join me in welcoming a dedicated servant of the recovery community, person who embodies the principles of the program and lives a life of service and spiritual abundance. Let us give a warm welcome to our esteemed guest who joins us from the wonderful state of Pennsylvania, a true testament to the power of recovery and the grace of the higher power. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Pete B. this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Wow, I was I like uh, that was awesome. I was thinking to myself, what a great introduction. I can't wait to hear this speaker. And then I realized it was me, you know. So I was like, put put a lot of pressure on me here. But uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I live in Pennsylvania. 
I've been abstinent since May 17, 2017. I've been recovered since August of 2017. You know, I like to think for sure that I am in fact a distinct entity and absolutely the delusion that I was like other people or presently maybe like other people has been absolutely smashed. You know, um, uh, I got. I really have to say, I'm I'm super grateful for this opportunity because I, you know, I love a vision for you. I love the passion, uh, you know, the 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 just everything that the fellowship that this particular fellowship brings to our literature. Right. It was the first meeting that I ever went to where I heard people describe themselves as recovered. Because uh, I, I I didn't I didn't uh, even even in my my uh, my history in Alcoholics Anonymous I never really heard people describe themselves as recovered and I began to understand what that meant. You know the passionate and detailed study and discussion of the textbook Alcoholics Anonymous it really had me cooked from day one because I've been reading this book, you know, for decades. You know, in in in, in another fellowship. Um, and hearing the members of over of, of a vision for you um, talk about you know decades of abstaining from compulsive overeating and their and their alcoholic foods, it, you know at the time when I first started started dialing in, it was inconceivable to me. Like the the idea that somebody could go ninety days, thirty days, months, years, decades was absolutely inconceivable to me. I didn't I didn't believe it could happen. And I'm so grateful for the recovered members that were here that, that really talked about this, this disease as a way, you know, the way it is and that this program of recovery can deliver that to the people that suffer from it. You know, I'm here to carry the message, um, the message as I understand the message that I think this textbook's described. And I'm, and I'm wide open to be set straight for where I, where I got it wrong. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not claiming to be any kind of authority you know, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a recovered individual, you know, a child of God trying to do the best I can with what I have available to me. So, you know, like I said, you know, you hear me say something that contradicts what our literature says about this common problem and the outline program of recovery, you know, please bring it to my attention. You know, you can do that. You can call me afterwards or you can, you know, the question period, you know, you can, you can feel free to do uh, to, uh, to, you know, bring it to my attention. Uh, I'm not keeping an eye on my clock, so if I run on too long, um, Melanie, please feel free to barge in and tell me to shut up. Um, you know, just a little bit about me. I've, you know, I've been sober. I got sober in May of 1997. Um, you know, I put down the drink. I grew up in an alcoholic household. You know, I grew up, and I'm sorry, I grew up in an environment of heavy drinking. Um, and, and, and lots of, and lots of dysfunction. I learned, I learned, uh, you know, coping mechanisms that were perhaps not the most healthy, but I was also exposed to coping mechanisms that were super healthy. And I had, I had loving and caring individuals in my lives and I had sick and, and, and hurting individuals in my life. Right. And, you know, throughout my, throughout my, uh, sobriety and throughout my upbringing, you know, was it had highs and lows. Some of them were as bad as they, you know, were, were as bad as some people's, maybe some were not as bad as others, you know, uh, you know, and I, I've had ups and downs. I've, you know, I've been super heavy and I've been super light, you know, my weight fluctuated, my, my relationship with food, you know, in my sobriety was 
was, uh, I would probably call it a problem relationship. You know, I used food to, to, to lighten my mood. I used food because I liked eating food. I didn't know what was going on with me. I used food because it produced a sense of ease and comfort. You know, but if I could describe what my life in sobriety was prior to putting down the food and becoming in, uh, and becoming entirely abstinent, I would call it, I just had like a low-level depression and sense of discontentedness. That's, you know, that's, that, that could just sum it up. You know, I, felt, I just felt like, like if this is what sobriety is all about, what am, what am I doing wrong? You know what's going on, and, and and I learned I learned through Overeaters Anonymous what was going wrong. You know, I was coming up. You know, I was bullied, and I was a bully. You know, I was sexually assaulted, and I sexually assaulted other people. I was outgoing and popular. You know, and and at the same time, I just felt like I didn't belong. And you know. Feeling like I didn't belong, that feeling like I didn't fit in. You know, I, I've spoken to people that have recovered, and I've spoken to people that I grew up with, and I've learned that lots of people feel like they don't belong. <laughs> you know, that, that's just part of being an adolescent and a teenager. Like you just felt different, and and you know, my my experience growing up in my household and surrounded by the environment I was, that didn't that didn't make me an alcoholic and it didn't cause me to compulsively compulsively overeat because I was painfully aware, painfully aware of the dangers of, of both alcohol and food. Yet in spite of all of the things I knew and all of the evidence around me, I still chose to drink and I still chose to eat food knowing full well that it was doing things to me that were inconsistent with what I wanted out of my life. But I still made the choice to drink anyway. And you know, I, I, I know why. I know why today. And the reason why is because I was unaware of the significance of the problem I had. Right? Un- unaware of the severity of this condition that we deal with. And I didn't know that I was not like other people. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I felt different. It turns out I am different. I'm different in a lot of ways. The most important and the most significant way that I'm different from my fellows is the fact that when I eat certain substances or drink alcohol, an abnormal reaction occurs. They call it the phenomena of craving. And it, which, it's what distinguishes me from other people. You know, our, you know, our book, In the Doctor's Opinion, on page XXIV, it says that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. You know, that, that's men and women, right? That's all men and women, right? And, and, and people that aren't alcoholic, when they drink alcohol, they have, a, they have a non-alcoholic reaction. They get tipsy, out of control, and they stop. But the alcoholic reaction, when they feel tipsy and out of control, and the substance is ingested, they continue to drink to get more. So while, while the sensation of drinking for the alcoholic is, you know, is elusive and potentially dangerous, 
The greater problem for the alcoholic is that alcohol triggers a different reaction than the non-alcoholic. It triggers the phenomenon of craving. And what that statement tells me is that I'm a man or a woman. It tells me that I start to eat, start to eat, for the same reason that other men and women start to eat, for the effect. I get an effect from everything I put in my mouth. And that's not because I'm a compulsive overeater. That comes from the creator, right? Like, am I hunger satisfied? My energy's replenished? Maybe I'm different, but my, my abstinent, my, maybe I'm different, but my abstinent food gives me an effect. Maybe it doesn't happen for other people, but that's my experience tell, tells me that I've always get it. Now, I don't know if a compulsive overeater has a heightened or different effect from the non-compulsive overeater. How, how would I know that? I've, I've always been a compulsive overeater. Right? But the difference, the alcohol is a neurotoxin. Anybody that drinks it is going to have a reaction. They're going to get lightheaded and funny. But only the alcoholic gets the phenomena of craving. And true with our disease as well, Right? Food absolutely produces an effect, you know, similar to the first drink for the alcoholic, maybe not to the extent that alcohol does, but it does for anyone that uses it, right? Ease and comfort. It addresses my nutritional requirements. It tastes good. You know, we have, a, we have from the creator a natural instinct to pursue pleasure and avoid pain, the pain of being hungry. And so when I eat, I get relief. Because I'm human, not because I'm compulsive overeater. See, liking food and enjoying food and thinking about food, even obsessing about food, is not what makes us different. I'll just say this: it makes me different. And you know, my 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 mental outlook, my, whether or not I'm balanced emotionally or not balanced emotionally. You know, the book says there are psychopaths. There's, people, there's emotional instability. There's irrational behavior. There's selfishness. There's inconsideration. There's manic depressives. You know, we like to call it that's our addict behavior. But, not, you know, it's just part of being human. None of those things that happen before I take the, food, the first fatal bite make me a compulsive overeater. They're just characteristics of being human. Later on in the doctor's opinion on page XXVI, it tells us that we're a distinct entity. It says, you know, distinct entity means that we're recognizably different in nature from something else of similar type. We're different. We're unique. I'm not terminally unique, but I'm unique. I was made the way I am and just so happens that I have a sensitivity to certain substances, alcohol, certain foods and certain behaviors. And the doctor's opinion says all these and many others have one symptom in common, one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking or eating in our case without developing the phenomena of craving. This phenomenon, as we suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity 
It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So what, what, what differentiates us, which makes, uh, I'll just say for me, maybe I'm different than other folks, that's fine. But what differentiates me from my fellows or my other people around me is what happens to me after I eat, not before I eat, after I eat, right? We, we, we hear about it all the time. It's a twofold illness, an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. Right in, in, in the big book, and there is a solution on the bottom of page 22 and the top of 23, it says we are equally positive that once he takes alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. Bodily and mental sense. So something occurs to me after I take the bite that makes me different from other people. You know, also on page seven, on page 23, and there is a solution, it says the main problem of the alcoholic is centers in his mind rather than his body, right? Mental obsession, does that make me a distinct entity? I don't think so, I don't think so. I, you know, I know lots of people, I witness this on a regular basis. They say, I'm not eating, I'm not eating today, I'm not eating today. And then they go and they eat, and they overeat or whatever it is, but they don't get the phenomenal craving. We, we, you know, we exist in, we have a snack food industry that's worth billions and billions of dollars, a weight loss industry that's worth billions and billions of dollars. Gurus self-help programs, all billions and billions of dollars, healthcare, right? All, all, you know, treating people that overeat, but not, but, but that treatment doesn't correct what's wrong with me. You know, it says once in a while he may tell the truth and the truth, strange, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There's the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. You know, I, I'm, I just want to reiterate, you know, my, you know, my, my problem isn't the things that happen to me before I drink or before I eat. My problem is what happens to me after I take that fatal bite. You know, we, I often hear people, they'll refer to, you know, the, the, you know, the different things, the experiences or the circumstances in their life, and that causes them to eat and make them eat. And, you know, that, 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 that might be an adequate excuse for doing it. It might be, it might be reasonable. But none of them are unique to the compulsive overeater. You know, we, I, people refer to the bedevilments. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our, you know, the, develop, the, the, the bedevilments on page 52 say we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We weren't happy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. 
Those are human problems. Those, you know, that, those are not problems that are unique to the compulsive overeater, the person that has this condition for which this program of recovery is essential for. Those are just human problems. The thing that distinguishes me the thing, that, the thing that makes me a compulsive overeater is not the feelings I have before I eat. It's what occurs in my body after I ingest the substance that causes it. And that's the distinguishing factor. You know, I thought for a long time when I got into recovery and started pursuing over, you know, recovery and over, he was anonymous. You know, I wanted to know where, where does, where does he come from? You know, what's the reason for it? And we hear lots of justification and, you know, inventories about, you know, I ate because of this, I ate because of that. It wasn't my experience. I caught the disease from an open refrigerator, I like to say. You know, our book calls both the physical aspect of our condition and the mental aspect of And phenomena means we know that we have it, we know that it exists, but we don't know where it comes from. And I think as a program of recovery and a fellowship of members, we need to stop thinking like we, we, under, we know where this thing comes from. I eat because I eat because I'm lonely, I eat because I'm in a crowd, I eat because I'm fearful, I eat because I'm confident, I eat, I eat because I'm a compulsive overeater. There's no explanation. You know, if I look upon the circumstances and the, and, the, and the implications and the repercussions from my eating, there's no reason why I would ever go back to eating. Yet, many of us just do. So it's not the circumstances that are the problem. It's this abnormal reaction that I get. You know, there are, a book talks about the different types, there are different types of alcoholics and there are different types of compulsive overeaters. And you know, we, we say in these meetings all the time, our traditions say the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop compulsively overeating. But that's for membership to the fellowship. And the fellowship is not the program of recovery, right? Membership to the fellowship does not mean I'm a compulsive overeater of the variety that needs this program of recovery to recover, right? So there are moderate eaters, moderate drinkers, right? Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. We've got hard drinkers or hard eaters who may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Although he may find it difficult and troublesome, he may even need medical attention. And then you have what I am, a real compulsive overeater. You know, there's no weight requirement to be one. Right? He may start off as a moderate eater. He may, may or may not become a continuous hard eater. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his eating once he starts to drink. And just so in case anybody's following along, I, I'm just using eating for liquor because that's what we do. Once he starts to drink, not before. You know, 
my malady, right? That malady means disease. I'm a compulsive overeater. That, you know, that means I compulsively, impulsively, and against my own will and wishes use substances that I know will harm me. That's my problem. I am a compulsive overeater. I'm not a food addict. Addiction may be, addiction is a part of my problem, but it's not, it's not the entire problem. See, because if the problem was addiction, I could address addiction in entire abstinence. I just, you know, I, I could adopt new practices, go to better places, change my places, right? Better environments with new people, get some new friends. I could live free. All I have to do is not use the substance. See, but my condition, what I have, compulsive overeating, it goes beyond addiction. It goes beyond addiction. You know, I hear, you know, at different times in this idea, like, you know, there's a spectrum of compulsive overeating. I, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. All, all I know is this. On page 44 in We Agnostics, it poses two questions. Question number one is if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. And question two is if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. And if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Only a spiritual experience will conquer. See, these steps that we work, this book that we study, it's all here for us in order to produce an essential psychic change. It outlines a program of recovery that we can adopt and live a life happy, joyous, and free. But it's all done in entire abstinence. You know, our book, you know, we hear, we hear our fellows, we talk about, you know, whether the ego, our ego, if it's the ego or, you know, our book doesn't say anything about ego. My ego is not what causes me to eat. My ego is not what causes me to be disgruntled. It's egoism that's the problem, right? And egoism, it's just like egotism. It's the practice of talking and thinking about oneself excessively because of undue sense of importance. That's the problem. We have to be rid of egoism and our steps get us away from that. You know, we, we need, you know, we have to have a sense of self, right? Ego is a person's sense of self or self-esteem or self-importance. I would challenge that. Our problem isn't that we have too much ego. The problem is we don't have enough of it. You know, thinking that ego is our problem, ego is the problem, that's like saying that alcohol is the problem for the alcoholic. It's not. Alcohol is not the problem for the alcoholic. Alcoholism is the problem for the alcoholic. And you know, by, by, by recognizing these, these, are, these are just, these are facts from what our book says, but they're also facts from my own personal lived experience. Right? I, 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 I have to say, like, I am so unbelievably grateful for the fact that, I, that, that I've been freed from this merciless obsession. Right? That I've been given the gifts from my creator of intellect, of intelligence, of capabilities, 
the, the ability to think on my own, walk on my own, stand on my own two feet, be who my God would have me be. I'm not sure where I am on time, but what I'm going to do now is just, just in closing, just again, express how grateful I am for, you know, the recovered members of this particular group who really pointed to the literature and where it says, and like I said, and pointed, explained to me, like, I can recover from this thing. You know, recovered means that, I've, that we've returned to normal. Right, we've returned to normal. And normal doesn't mean that I've returned to like Joe or Bob or Bill or Pete or whoever. Normal means that I've been returned to the state that the creator has me. Right, I've returned to normal. I, I, I respond to these substances the same way I respond to any other threat that I know is going to be harmful. You know, our book says we recoil, like we, if tempted, we recoil as from a hot fresh flame. That has been restored. You know, food, is, food has never jumped off the plate and into my mouth. Any bite I ever took came from either my right hand or my left hand. You know what I mean? And I, what I know is this thing that makes me different from other people, that can't happen unless I ingest the substance that causes it to happen. So as a result of not ingesting that substance and aligning my will with God's, clearing away the records of my past, I recovered. I walk a free man today. Among my fellows, I try to carry myself the way I believe that my God would have me carry myself. I try to treat others with the same respect and consideration that I would want for myself or for someone that I love. You know, whether I like it or not, or you like it or not, I found my tribe in Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I call it a tribe. I call it a tribe because it's not a family. It's not my family. You know, my family suffered enough from my compulsive overeating and my behaviors. They don't need me. They don't need to hear me in my office say hi to a family when I've abused mine for all those years. My family is the priority. My commitments are my priority. This is my tribe. And we have to be careful about this tribal mentality, right? That doesn't mean that we're better than the other tribes or sub-tribes that are out there. I don't think that a vision for you is getting any is experiencing any greater level of recovery than any other program that's out there. We're simply studying the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous and trying to practice what's in what you know what we read and what's in place and what has been provided for us. The freedom that I have experienced by putting by recognizing these facts and having a spiritual experience in entire accidents it's indescribable and like i said i walk a free man i'm free to ponder my own thoughts i'm free to come up with my own conclusions i'm free to make mistakes and i'm free to try to be the best version of me that i could possibly be and when i fall short i have other steps which are eloquently pointed out by our fellow correct and move forward.
in pursuit of developing and nurturing this relationship with the God of my understanding. I'll tell you, man, that's a deal. It's a deal to come from where I was to where I am today. You know, the freedom, all that other stuff, the, 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 appropriate, the appropriate size and weight, the relationship I have with food, the, the, the neutrality I have with all of the other aspects of my life, it's a deal. And had I not experienced or, or become aware of it through the recovered members of this group who told me the truth, they didn't tell me to set aside everything I think I know for everything I think we know. We think we know. They told me to set aside everything I think I know for a new experience, and I've had a new experience. And that new experience has helped me to better align my will with God's and walk a free man recovered today. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you very much. Very thorough in my heart and my mind. I'm sure that it left the rest of us without a doubt what it is, the distinction between not and the real deal. Thanks again. appreciate that. We're going to ask Pete for his contact information at the conclusion of this meeting, so stay tuned. Clear to the top of the hour to be able to receive that information so you can be in contact. I wanted to let you know what the Share ID number is for this particular recorded session this morning so you can go back and take a good listen because it's worthy of that if you didn't get clear notes. That share ID number is 20901, 20901. So the lines are now open for questions, Pete, if you're ready. If you have a question for Pete, press star one to unmute your phone and give the uh, your first name, the first letter of your last name and your state, and we'll take up a line up today this morning for Pete. Who would like to ask? Penny, is that Loretta you? Loretta A. Riska R. Loretta. Moore Z. Somebody before the male voice. Moore Z. Moore Z, that was it. That's it. That recognizable voice there. Okay, Matthew, was that you, Matthew G? Yeah, Matthew G. Gotcha. Okay, let's go with that lineup here and see how it goes question by question. Everyone else besides Penny C, please mute your line with star one. We have Penny C, Loretta H, Rivka R, Maura Z, and Matthew G. Your question, Penny, this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Loud and clear, um, yeah. Okay. Yes, Hi, I, Pete. Thank, mm-hmm. you so, thank you so much. I'm Penny C. I am recovered compulsive overeater. I'm very grateful to be able to say that. Um, I loved everything you had to say. I just wanted to ask you if you would talk a little bit about your daily spiritual practices. Penny, so good to hear your voice. Thank you. Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I, you know, the big book was written. I think the, the, the only, I don't think a person had more than three years sober when it was written. And we haven't changed very much of it relevant to what the big book is. And I, you know, I, so, so, you know, our book says upon awakening, there are things that we have to do. And at the end of the day, there are things that we have to do. So what my, what my practice looks like, I don't think you can, I don't think the temple can be very effective if it's not maintained. 
So I, my, my practice is in the morning, I get up in the morning, I use, this is more information they ask for. I take a cold plunge. I do some physical activity because my mind's going fast in the morning. I finish that physical activity. I spend about 30 minutes in, in meditation and prayer. When I finish meditating, when I get off my knees, I make a plan for the day. I think about the next 24 hours in my plan for the day. I identify what I call the five to stay alive. I identify what I'm going to eat, how much of it I'm going to eat, where I'm going to eat it, where it's going to come from, and who I'm going to eat it with. After that, I go about my day happy, joyous, and free, toes tapping, re refreshed, ready to be the grandest version of the greatest vision I've ever had for myself and to practice these principles in all my affairs. When I encounter a situation or it's something that's challenging or troubling, it takes the form of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. I didn't put in there that I also listen to a vision for you for two hours every morning and work with sponsees and all the other stuff. Um, I do all that as well. But when I do encounter those things, I immediately ask God to remove them. If I haven't harmed anybody, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do anything to hurt anybody, I'm dealing with my thoughts, I go about the rest of my day trying to focus my attention on those, I've, on, on those I can help and being a good example. If for some reason I did something that was harmful to somebody, I discuss it with somebody, I discuss how I'm going to make amends for it, and I make amends quickly, immediately, and then I go about my day. And then at the end of the day, like I said, hopefully it's been a successful day. I didn't make the choice of picking up the food, and I was kind and loving as I, as I possibly can to my fellows. I review my day. I constructively re review my day. I, I, want, I take a look at if, I, if I, something that I did or didn't do in the day that requires conversation with somebody or making an apology to somebody for something I may have said that was harmful or hurtful. I do that. And then I put my head on the pillow and put myself to sleep. And that's what my day looks like. Thank you very much, Penny C, for your question from Massachusetts, Loretta. Loretta H., your question now. Star one. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Pete. Thank you for this honest, accountable, and recovered uh, share. My question is, um, I talked about, you talked about honesty, and that's the first step. Are there any of the principles that you see sometimes in your 11th step or 10th step that are harder for you to accommodate with your recovery. I hope that isn't confusing. Uh, can you just say that one more time, Loretta? Okay, so we have a principle for each step. And that first step, which I heard in a recovered state, but do you have any of the other principles that seem to come up a lot that I'm not seeing or I'm not absorbing in my practice. I've been studying the principles this year, and I see some that I have a little trouble with. So I'm just wondering if there's any of the principles that you have trouble with extending into your recovery. Does that make sense? Well, here's what, I, here's what I'll say about that. 
you know, I, I don't want to pretend to be any more of authority on this information than anybody else out there. I've been reading it for a couple of decades and I've been trying to practice it to the best of my ability. I don't, I don't, maybe you can tell me, I don't know what page these principles are listed on. I don't, I don't know what they are. I know that what I did in this program is I turned my life, which is my behavior and my will, which is my thoughts over to the care of God as I understand God which tells me that I have to be going forward the best demonstration of the principles of this program, the steps in this program in everything that I do. So I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you what specific principle each step has to offer. My level of honesty is I'm honest, which the book requires me to do. I have to be honest with what are the substances, what are the ingredients, and what are the behaviors that cause this abnormal reaction, and I can't put them in my system under any and all conditions or engage in those behaviors under any and all conditions. The whole rest, whatever principles, whatever guidance, whatever, whatever, whatever I need to be getting from God, that comes through in my prayer and meditation, and I follow it to the best of my ability. If I fall short, I make amends, I make apologies, and I move forward. You know, so I, I you know, I couldn't, I couldn't identify which specific, you know, which, which, which the principles are, but that's what I do on a regular basis, and it seems to be working. Thank you, Loretta. H from North Carolina. Thanks, Pete. Um, next up for a question is Rivka R, followed by Maura Z. Star one, Rivka. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much, Melanie, for your service. And Pete, thank you so much. So incredibly right on, as usual. I have two questions, actually. The first is, if you could elaborate a little on the difference between my ego and the egotism that you talked about. And um, and the second one is, since the, the purpose of the steps is a growing relationship with my creator, how do you work with avowed agnostics? Thank you, Rivka. That's a great question. Okay, so my understanding is that everybody has an ego. And also, if I was to die tomorrow or to get sick, you couldn't operate on me and remove it, right? It's just, you know, we, have, we all have an ego. And the ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. And I would challenge that ego, having an ego, excessive ego is not our problem. I would challenge that it's probably lack of ego because if I had an ego, if I had a sense of self-esteem, why would I jam 24 Dunkin' Donuts down my throat knowing full well that it's not what my God would have me be or it's not healthy or it's not how it's supposed to be? Why would I do that? Right? That's so, so, so the problem isn't ego. The problem is egoism. Right? And the, the egoism is an undue or unnecessary uh, sense of self-importance. And that's what we have to be free of. That idea that somehow or some way I'm better than or not as good as the, someone else. You know, I drank myself into a state of being reasonable. And as a result of doing so, I surrendered unconditionally. And I had a spiritual experience. I'm a child of God, just like everybody else is a child of God. I'm no bigger, but I'm also no smaller. Right? I, I love, you know, just, just uh, so, so that's that. And then what was the second question? 
Peter, so how do you um, work with agnostics if we're here to grow a oh, relationship oh. with Creator? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so this is how I work with agnostics. Um, I take I, I, I review what, what the textbook says about our conditions, specifically about the doctor's opinion. Explaining that this is it, this is an abnormal reaction. It can't be fixed. It only gets worse, never better. Once it's established, you're essentially hopeless. No human power will relieve it. No new mental defense, no better code of morals will do it. And I point out that information in the literature that we have. Excuse me. I have or read with people, mostly have them read Bill's story so that they can understand that, not, not about Bill's ego. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because we all have an ego, we all have self-esteem, we all have a history, but to understand the fatal progressive nature of this condition, right? I take them through more about alcoholism so that they can understand that, you know, like if you have this disease, there's no hope without having a spiritual experience, right? If, if, you, if, if, if you can see that you have this condition, you understand the significance of it, you understand the severity of it, Right, and your experience tells you you're not going to be able to do anything about it, and no sponsor or meeting that happens for two hours a day is going to fix it. You have to get to a point of hopelessness, and if you're not hopeless, you 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 probably have some more eating to do. It's not a you know your virtue is not going to drive you to the state of reasonableness. And then I simply take them. So here's the situation. I think it's page forty-seven. In we agnostics, it says, do you believe are you, or are you willing to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity? And if the answer is no, I just keep going back to the, the other information because if the person's not willing to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore them to sanity, I don't believe that, 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 that they are fully aware of the significance and the severity of the disease. But if all they have to do is say, well, you know what? I don't believe now. I'm truly agnostic, but I'm willing to believe. So I'm going to go through this process. Well, then I take them through the process. And at the end of that, if they're still, if they're still, you know, they haven't had this experience, well, then, you know, I guess the book's wrong, but I haven't found that to be the case. There are a lot of people that I hear on the line, they claim they, they, that they're agnostics and they talk about doing these things, right? The way that, the, the, the way that the, this program of recovery uh, outlines doing them. They describe doing them and they describe the behaviors and they describe the feelings that you want to call it agnostic, that's fine, but God knows, right? The one that has all power, he don't care what you call it. All he or she doesn't care what you call it. All the power cares about is that we're doing it. So we could think we're agnostics, but it's, you know, it says that this condition, if we truly have it, only, only a spiritual experience will conquer it. Now, it doesn't have to be these steps. It just has to be a spiritual experience. But what I know is that these steps, if worked the way they're outlined in the book, in entire abstinence, are guaranteed to produce the, psychic, the essential psychic change. Guaranteed, 100%. So if the person says, no, I'm not willing, I go back. If they say they're willing, I take them through the process, and then I let God 
disclose, you know, show them what, what, you know, what it's all about and what it's going to be. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you very much, Rivka R. from Maryland for your question, questions this morning. Thanks, Pete. Maura Z, your question now. Star one, please, followed by Matthew. And then we'll open it up for additional questions. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thanks so much for your service. Pete, it's always good to hear you. Thank you so much for sharing so much um, of your program. I do have a specific question, and that is what guidance or or suggestions do you have for working with someone who is hesitant to work 10 steps and to work them as they're written in the big book? Any guidance you have on that? I'd appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, to work them out. Uh, there's plenty of people that work 10 steps that uh, as they're not, not as they're written in the big book. So the, you know, the importance is that you do them. That, that, that's the important, the important, the, the important thing is that we continue to take personal inventory. The big book has a set of instructions. They're very specific instructions. I want to find them just so I don't paraphrase them and get the LA police to uh, come after me for them. What page are they on, Maura? I believe it's 88. 84. 84. 84. Thank you, Melanie. My instructions are to, to, to anybody who's I'm take, who I'm working with, who I'm fortunate to work with, are you doing exactly what the book says to do? Exactly what the book says to do. The very first thing that we're supposed to be doing in step 10 the very first thing, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. That's what we have to be doing. I ask them to watch, watch out for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, period. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them. It's the instruction. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. We resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. See, the instructions, the, in that sentence, it says we discuss them with someone immediately. That's the main clause of the sentence. And is a conjunction. Make amends quickly, if, make amends quickly is a subordinate clause. And then if is the condition. You just follow the instructions. Follow the instructions on what the book has to say. And I think you're going to be okay. The important thing is that, it's, that, is that it's done. We're not, you know, I'm not making any progress by ratting on myself. I'm not. I'm not. I, don't, I want to retract that last statement. That's what I do. I follow the instructions in the book as the book says to do them. Thanks so much for the question this morning, Marzi. Next up is Matthew G. with a question, and then get ready. We're going to open up the lines for further questions this morning. We have plenty of time. Hi, Matthew. Hi there. My name is Matthew. Matthew G. I'm a compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater in France. Pete B., thank you so much. I literally screaming with joy and crying over here in France. I love you so much. Thank you for being my sponsor, and I'm just so grateful. My question is maybe a really good follow-up question on what you just answered about Step 10. Um, I love 
You're breaking up a little bit. Oh, gosh. Not a psychological change. Could you talk about that? I love when you when you talk about that. Can can I be heard? Can you can you say that yeah. one more time? Because you broke up a bit. Awesome, <laughs> Matthew. It's not working. Matthew, it's not working. Is there someplace else you can position yourself with this? Could you talk about simple change? Matthew, how about you text me your question, and then I'll ask it in a moment, because you're not coming through at all, and I will be happy, even on this reported line, to give you my phone number. Five four one nine zero eight one two two one. Hey, Pete, with that, we're going to... Just pause for a moment, grab some more names, and we'll move on from there, and we'll see what we can do with Matthew. If you're interested in asking a question this morning of Pete, if you would press star one and unmute your line, give me your first name, the first letter of your last name, and your state. Barbara P., Georgia. Gotcha, Barbara. Melissa, Thank you. Melissa C. Melissa C. Freya H. Freya H. Okay, let's not spend any more time. We're going to go with these three for now. Barbara P. from Georgia, Melissa C., and then Freya. Your question, Barbara. Pete, thanks so much. Great talk. And my question is this. Working with someone, I'm working with someone for the first time who doesn't claim to have a substance abuse, just compulsive eating. There are some behaviors, and she can identify some things. There are some sort of red behaviors, but not really a food or ingredient. And it's just not my experience. Have you worked with someone such as that? And if so, any any wisdom on that? Any thoughts? Well, I, I mean, can can you be a little? Thanks, Barbara. Can you, so is she, is she saying she doesn't have, she doesn't get an abnormal reaction, or she or, or everything gives her the phenomenon of craving? Um, really, doesn't have that reaction to certain foods. Like, can eat dessert certain places, can eat certain places, um, but uh, you know, but does go into a binge and compulsively overeat at times based on. Uncertain. So we have somewhat of a red list, but it's just not my experience. Like mine was very clear. It doesn't sound very clear for her. Uh, and it makes me wonder, is that addiction? Because, or is that just simply using food, like you say, for an effect? And I, I just don't know. I'm kind of baffled myself. So I don't know if I'm describing it properly, but it's just not my experience. But but it sounds like everything she describes in her binge sounds like my experience of binges, of not being able to stop when you want to stop. It just sounds like the trigger is not necessarily a specific food or type of food like it is for many of us. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, you, know would, you know, lots of people binge eat. My mom binge eats, you know, the, 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 the distinguishing characteristic 
for the compulsive overeater or the distinguishing characteristic for the alcoholic is the abnormal reaction that we get from ingesting the substance or engaging in the behavior. Now, here's part of the problem. You know, our book says, and my experience proves this, is that we get to a point because of these substances going in our body that we're unable to distinguish the true from the false. We don't know if it's causing the phenomenal craving or not causing the phenomenal craving because it's all we know. It's all that we know. It, you know, I, I, plenty of, you know, I've been, I've been in this program years and years ago thinking, you know what, like I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll eat like a Viking for, for seven days and then binge for one day and then come right back in. All food gives me the phenomenon of craving. I got to, you know, measure, weigh and measure all food. And you know, the problem for me was I never had any extended lengthy period of time of not putting those substances in my body that cause me, that trigger the abnormal reaction. See, we talk about it here, we'll put the food down for two days and start working the steps and it's all really good, really good information, right? But, but because that, we talked about that with alcohol because that's how, that's how long it takes the mind to clear from, alcohol, from the influence of alcohol. See, our condition, we don't get the same ease and comfort that the alcoholic gets we get a different kind of alcohol. Alcohol is a neurotoxin. And when you put it in your system, you're going to respond this for a certain way and it's going to length for a period of time. But for us compulsive readers, the abnormal, our abnormal reaction, that phenomenon of craving, well, you know, I don't know about this person, but I can tell you this. There were seed oils and hydrogenated vegetable oils and sugars and sweeteners and things that, are, that laid in my cells for decades and we're sitting there and causing the phenomenal craving for way more than two days, way more than two days. It was probably close to a hundred days before that screaming baby that I like to call it stopped calling my name to eat more food every time I sat down to eat food. Right. So what, 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 what I would recommend is, you know what, if you don't, if you can't identify what causes the phenomenal craving, how about you make a list of the things, you know, don't. I don't care if it's boiled chicken and broccoli. Eat that for 30 days, 60 days, right? If you don't have a, you know, if you're a compulsive overeater, you want to stop being a compulsive overeater or stop having the behaviors associated with it, just put down what you, you know, put, eat, eat everything as close to as possible and see if you don't get the phenomenal craving and doesn't cause you to binge. Then you'll know, right? But, you know, like I said earlier, you know, this, you think those buffets or, you know, people are having one plate at the buffet, like people eat, <laughs> You know, people eat the foods that we eat have been designed by the most sophisticated minds in the world. Those are the people that get recruited out of engineering schools and medical schools to go work for these companies because they're designed for us to eat more of them because we'll buy more of them. Right. So what we have to have in order for in order for this thing to affect is entire absence from those stuff. And my experience was when I put the food down for long, for a lengthy period of time. I was then able to experience the freedom. I'd be able to understand what people talked about when they said that they are recovered because food, regardless of when I ate it, right, well, can not, contain nothing that caused the phenomenon of craving, and I was no longer preoccupied with getting more of it. It started having the effect I think that the creator would have it have on me. So I hope that that's helpful. 
Thank you very much, Barbara P., for that question this morning. I want to swing around to see if we can find Matthew G. Are you able to get back on, Matthew, with your question? Star one, please. Can I be heard? Oh, yes. Right now, that's much better. Let's see how it goes. Oh, okay, let's see how this goes. So my name is Matthew. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in France. Great. I love you. Awesome. Thank you. My question is, could you talk about the difference between an the difference between an entire psychic change and a psychological change? Why is it a psychic change and not a psychological change that we must go through? Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Matt. It's good to hear from you, man. It's always good to hear you. I love our, our connects and you're doing a great job and keep at it, you know. Yeah, you know, um, this process, you know, if you read the foreword to the AA 12 and 12 that says that these steps are spiritual in nature, which if practiced as a way of life will expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole. We, this process that we go through, this process of surrendering unconditionally, putting the food down, understanding that no human power, no mental defense, nothing of human nature was going to relieve me of it. And having this experience is about, is about changing psychically. And psychic means relating to or denoting faculties of phenomena that are apparently inexplicable by natural laws, right? So it means, it's, it's relating to the spirit. So we're going through this process to have a spiritual change. It's not about a psychological change. It, that occurs. I'm not saying that doesn't occur, but that's, that the psychological is a product of what we go through. The psychic change is that now, I am now a person that walks a free man because my reliance, my dependence is on a power greater than myself that has solved this problem, right? And so we, if, if, we're, if we're reliant on, you know, the sponsor, the fellows, the meetings, the 10-step calls, the reach-around calls, the, if, that's, if, if we're relying on the process, right, we're relying on the tools, well, then we're, 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 we're basing what we're doing on the tools. But if we're, rely, if we're using those tools to clear away the wreckage and to get closer to God, well, then we're talking about the psychic change. And that's what it's about. It's about a psychic change, not a psychological change. That's the primary. And as a result of that psychic change, the, psycho the psychological change occurs. So I hope that that, I, you know, I hope that's how I'm not coming across as any guru or any know-it-all or any faction, but that's my, you know, as I read it, that is my understanding of what having a psychic change versus a psychological change means. Thank you, Matthew, for that question and for hanging in there. And that distinction is very important. Next up with a question would be Melissa C. Star one, please, followed by Freya. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Melanie, for your service this morning. Um, Melissa Seymour recovered compulsive overeater. I'm in New York, and thank you. It was really, really great, Pete, and it's always good to hear you. Um, I'm, you know, you were talking about the psychic change, and this kind of leads right, really right into my question, which, you know, and there's a solution, 
It talks about a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. And that, for me, um, I, I'm, I always want to hear um, how that, you know, how putting the food down and working the 12 steps actually does that. So I would love to hear about, you know, some of your experiences, how this how your recovery has impacted since, and I, and I just want to say, I love that you say like your family, like family, I, I know for myself became crucially important through my recovery. And I, I want to hear, you know, could you express some of that and how this happened for you? Thanks. Hey, listen, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. And uh, it's so fun. You know, I've never, I've, ne- I've been, I don't even know how many, meetings I've been to that were speaker meetings or anything. I've never heard anybody say that was a fair job. Keep doing it again. Yeah. It's always, you always did a great job. So maybe you're saying I did a great job or you're just, but I did a fair or decent job or, or maybe it was horrible. I don't know, but I've never heard that, but thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, um, my wife and my children don't, really care that I have these shiny coins on my desk and um, that I spend two hours a day, you know, talking with you people or listening to you people. They, they, it doesn't matter to them that, you know, they're, 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 um, they're happy that I'm a part of their existence. I mean, they're, they're where the rubber meets the road. Right. And, and um, you know, so my, my, my take on that is that, you know, I'm I'm committed to the things that I have, you know, that I have agreed to be committed to when I created my relationship ideal as a result of working the fourth step. And in that ideal, I identified how I wanted to carry myself in my relationships with other people, who was going to be basically the 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 the, the entity or the guide for how I conduct my affairs. So like I said in my closing, my, I, I just, I try to treat others in my life, especially my family, with the same respect and consideration that I would want for myself or someone I love. You know, so I, 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 I'm compassionate, I'm passionate, I'm supportive. Their needs I put ahead of my needs. I still meet my needs. I still get my needs met, but I get my needs met by trying to be of service to my, the people about me. And the people about me that are most important are the people that are my family and other people that I've become associated with, right? So, uh, you know, my, my, I believe that my job, the way that I'm in service to my creator is just trying to be an example of what I think my God would have me be in any given situation. And you know what? Sometimes that doesn't look like, it might not look like what your God has you look like or what you do. You know, you know, like I, I said it earlier, I'm different. I'm different. You know, I'm different. I look at things a different way. I have different ways of, you know, different conclusions that I arrive at. Sometimes I'm soft and mushy. Sometimes I'm hard and rigid, you know, but I'm, I'm just like any other human. I just have varied traits and varied things. I just have to be the best example of my God's love, my God's will, and my God's way of life with all the people that I encounter, but most importantly for them, because they, they're on the firing line. 
You know, they're not concerned with the fact that I only eat three meals a day and they're weighed and measured and what's that. They're not concerned about that. That's not their concern. And it doesn't have to be. What I have. I'm the only one that has to understand what I have. So I don't want them, now that I'm in recovery and enjoying this life of walking a free man, I don't want them having to suffer from my recovery. So, you know, I, I, I believe in service. I believe in fellowship. I believe in making meetings. I believe in meeting the needs of these people about me. But guess what, man? You're, the, the needs of Overeaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, they come after the needs of my family. My family is the prime, is primary focus. I put their needs before mine. And like I said, I try, to do the, I try to be the best example of what I believe and how I believe my God would have me conduct my affairs. Thank you very much. Melissa C. from New York with your question this morning. Next up with a question for Pete would be Freya H. from Colorado. And then I wanted to let folks know so they could be prepared that uh, there's going to be plenty of time for more questions for Pete after Freya asks hers. If you're more in line with wondering what it is that we're talking about here, focus it on um, the distinction entity here that we have through the doctor's opinion, the allergy of the body, entire abstinence. Formulate your questions in that, in that way, and we'll have more to come. Great. Thanks so much, Freya, for waiting for me. Your turn. Mm, thank you, Melanie. Uh, Freya H. in Colorado, thank you, Pete, for um, your experience. I appreciate your perspective and experience. And um, my question is along those lines of, you know, practical food question. So when working with others, I'd just love to hear what's your take on um, how you help someone determine what foods um, are safe for them and then how you support them in that. Like, do you let them decide and kind of, you know, if it's our own experience that convinces us, I haven't had much success in telling someone you have to put this down, but at what point, you know, how do you, how do you help them see what they maybe can't see? Because like you said, it's kind of all they know is what it's like to be in the food. So um, does that make sense? Kind of like practical, this is how I support them. Yeah, it does. Um, so I don't know what gives anybody else a phenomenon of craving. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I, you know, the phenomenon of craving, it, you know, it doesn't have any, uh, doesn't leave any clues. You can't take a blood test for it. You can't take a, you know, it's, 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 it's unique and individual. So when I, when I work with somebody, I just simply say, make a list. This is what I, these are the, these are the foods, these are the ingredients, and these are the behaviors that I think are problematic. And then we proceed in working the steps. If those things are down, and we proceed in working the steps. If that person that I'm working with has a recurrence, the first thing I start to talk about is, so what were you eating, right? Because you can be, you know, walking hand in hand in the sunlight of the spirit with Gandhi in one hand and the Dalai Lama in the other. If you have this condition and you ingest a substance that causes the phenomenal craving, you're going to be eating. So I talk to them about what they're eating. And then I try, if, if, if they, if they uh, you know, try to help them understand, could it be something that's causing the phenomenal craving? Let's figure out what it might be. Let's eliminate that. Because I don't ask for a list. It's not, it's not in my business what's on your list or not on your list. It's, it's their business. But, then, but like I said, if they have a recurrence, and that, that should happen. Then I just try and help them eliminate those. 
they continue to have a recurrence, I do the same thing. If, they, if, if somebody tells me, like I shared earlier, well, I can't figure it out, it's all food, then I say, okay, well, how about this? What do you know for sure doesn't cause it? Make a list of those things and only eat those things. If it's not on the list, don't eat it. Don't eat it. And if they do that and then they have a recurrence, I go back to what I said earlier. Let's start talking about what you're, you know, what you're eating. And if it's still a problem, and, you know, for, and I've had that, that experience with, with folks, if it's still an issue and it's still a challenge, well, you know, I may defer to and say, look, you know, a lot of people abstain from eating flour and sugar. Those seem to be the, the most likely suspects. Let's eliminate those. Just make sure none of that's in any, in any ingredient whatsoever in what you're eating or any of the, I don't know what they call them, derivatives or variations of those ingredients are. And let's be free of those and let's see how that goes. And then, you know, if, if, if it's still a problem, I don't want to keep going on and on about it, but if it's still a problem, I, I, you got to ask them. You, you may be constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself. You know, that, that this might not, might not be the case. Or here's the good news. This might be a problem here. You, you might be a moderate eater or a hard eater. That might, be the, that might be the case for you. And guess what? Good, good. Now you don't have to spend hours a day in, you know, in meetings and do, do all these things. Right? It, wouldn't that be good news? Right, yeah, you, you overeat. You don't. This is not what you need, you know. And that, and that, and that, you know, that's 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 fine too, you know. And you can, you, and even though you can still participate, right? Because these steps, this this spiritual program of action, these will benefit anybody. You don't have to be a compulsive overeater or an alcoholic or a drug addict. You do these things as outlined. You will a change will occur. Right? So that's that's kind. Of, I don't know if there was more more information than you asked for. So that's that's how I basically approach it and have approached it in the past. Thank you so much, Stray H, for your question. Thanks, Pete, for your answer. Good re- re- interaction there. The lines are now open for additional questions for Pete. We could probably take three more or so before the top of the hour. If you're interested in asking Pete a question, give me your name, first letter of your last name, and your state. Star one, we'll unmute your line. Hi, this is Novella P from Maine. Hi, Novella P. Got you down. From Maine. Shana R. from Maryland. Shana R. from Maryland. Gotcha. Kathy K. Hey, Kathy K. You might have a little crackling on your line. Just to let oh. you know, we might have to have you dial back in. That's all. Just dial back in maybe because there's two ahead of you. Okay, let's start with those three. Novella P. from Maine, Shana R. from Maryland, and Kathy K. from Massachusetts. Hi. Hi um, this is Novella. Yes, I'm sorry. I was muted. Um, this is Novella from Maine. Um, my question to you is about our spirituality. Um, what I've been, what's going on for me right now is I lost my one and only first time sponsor, and the minute that happened, I started having all this mental craziness in my head, and so I knew the only answer for me was spirituality, so I went online, and I started listening to all these things online, and one thing that I did hear that made sense to me, it says that, um, our disease is, um, get stronger and stronger 
It, you know, it, once we pick up the food, it's going to be worse next time um, because it, 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 it's a progressive disease. And so, therefore, we have to make our spirituality progressive, and we have to continue to increase our faith. Have you ever heard that before? And is that true? I don't know. That's my question. Thanks, Novella. Um, good for you for working with somebody. You know, I, I just want to. I just want to reiterate. You know, when working with others, you don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. We just have to do it, right? Bill Wilson was in the Mayflower Hotel contemplating going into a bar and having a drink or not. And what saved him was working with others. And that is the exclusive purpose of working with others. It's about getting us recovered and helping us have a spiritual experience whether or not somebody comes along for the journey is completely up to them. It says no human power for a reason. So if you, if you read in our book, we talk, there, there, there are stories, I don't remember if it's Jim or Fred, but you know, it talks about their experience and, it, and, 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 and they, 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 they discuss what happened. And what is stated, I think it's stated by the author, but it's stated that, what, hap- what, what happened is that the person failed to enlarge their spiritual life, right? And that, I, you know, I would challenge that, that, that's the, that, that is why. Uh, I think two reasons. Well, maybe it's, it could be thousands of reasons, but I think that people go back to eating, one, because they don't take the disease as serious as it needs to be taken in order to recover from it. And two, the delusion that they are like other people or presently maybe like other people has got to be smashed. And then the other reason is, is that they, they, they rely too heavily on these processes and practices and not, and, and not focus on developing a spiritual life. And that's what the literature says, that the person went back to drinking because they failed to enlarge their spiritual life. So the, the enlarging of my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others has got to be my primary focus, right? And the work isn't the focus, the effort is the focus. The results are not the focus, the effort is the focus, right? So we have to continue. I, I really believe that, you know, all of our spiritual leaders, this, you know, the, 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 you know, the people who are really, really spiritual are asking themselves every day, how do I get more spiritual? How do I go deeper? How do I go deeper? It's, it's, there's no conclusion to it. It just keeps going. We keep on uncovering, discovering, and discarding not what makes us eek, not what makes us disgruntled. We keep on uncovering, discovering, and discarding that's what, that what stands in the way of my usefulness to the one that has all power. That's what we're trying to do here. So I hope that that is uh, clear. And if you want, um, you know, more specifics and where it says it in the big book, you can take my number down. I'll be happy to point that out for you. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Novella P, for your question. She's from Maine. Next up with a question will be Shana R. from Maryland. Star one, Shana. Hi. Thank you uh, so much, Pete, for your share. This is Shana R. from Maryland. Uh, my question is, um, for those who've had... Um, 
long-term abstinence, um, you lose that sense of desperation, the kind of complacency can set in. Um, you take it for granted. Um, what's the best way to guard against that? Um, that sense of um, taking it for granted, um, sort of invulnerability to relapse. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shana. You know, nothing will ensure immunity from 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 alcohol or from eating than intensive work with other people. You know, that's that's why we do it. We 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 you know we some people say keep it green. I don't believe that keeping it green keeps me keeps me abstinent. God's grace keeps me abstinent, but it keeps me on the firing lines of life. It helps me remember and know what I'm dealing with. And what I'm dealing with is the worst condition known to man. This idea that, that I know are harmful, that I know are going to cause this abnormal reaction, that I know are going to separate me from the one that has all power. Right? So it, it just comes down to we just stay on the firing lines of life. If you read in our third step prayer, I'm not going to read it out, but it tells you we have to be a demonstration of our God's love, our God's will, and our God's way of life. We can't be a demonstration if we're keeping this stuff to ourselves. We're a demonstration by going out and living in this world and facing our challenges, facing our problems, and utilizing the, the relationship that we have with the power to be the demonstration. Right? So you want to, you know, if you're getting stagnant, you get starting to get complacent, come place your ass in the meeting and find somebody who can't get this thing and get in touch with them and talk to them. Not about your problems, about their problems. Because there's only one way out of the possible reader alcoholic. There's only one way out, and that's through other people. Thank you very much, Shana R., for your question. Shana's from Maryland. Kathy Kay from Massachusetts, are you back with us? Yes. Melanie, can you hear me? Oh, much improved. Thanks so much for doing that, okay. Kathy. Your question. Yeah, thank you. Um, Pete, it was great to hear you today. I came in a little bit late, and so you may have covered this, but I didn't hear it in most of your talk. I, my own experience had to do, I got long-term abstinence, the best I've ever had, when I got a food plan from a nutritionist. Because up until that point, I had borrowed other people's food plans. I got rid of the sugar and flour that were causing me cravings. But I really was not able to get entirely at peace with my daily food plan until I had one that was designed especially for me. I'm wondering if you do that as well. If I have a food plan that's been, that's been provided to me by a nutritionist? Yes. Uh, 100% truthful, no. I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I did. I did when I tried to get recovered. I did when I, I did when I started working this thing. I did when I had to get. I had to figure out how to distinguish just my natural desire to eat from things that were causing the phenomena of craving. I had. Mm-hmm. A, I had a specific specific uh, food. I'm sorry. Specific times of day that I was supposed to eat. I had specifically specific quantities of food that I was supposed to eat, and I had a list of 
ingredients that absolutely under any and all conditions couldn't, couldn't be ingested. And like I said, I needed that because I suspected that it was all foods that caused the phenomenal craving and being abstinent long enough, I came to realize that there aren't. You know, I never got homicidal and suicidal from eating an extra string bean or two or, you know, an extra crown of broccoli. It never happened. Never decided to go to Baskin and Robbins after eating an extra crown of broccoli. But it was super, super essential. The other thing that was super, super essential for me was that I had to have somebody to work with that had been through this process to help me have the essential psychic change. And what has happened for me, the transformation that has taken place is that food has the proper place. And the food has the proper place. I have a food plan. I follow it 98% of the time. See, my food plan isn't my abstinence. My food plan is a tool for recovery. Abstinence is refraining from compulsively overeating. And I like to think of this as abstinence is refraining from the substances, the ingredients, and the behaviors that cause the abnormal reaction. So I have flexibility in my, in my meal plan. I don't call and check with somebody if I want to eliminate vegetables because I want to go paleo or carnivore or anything like that because none of that stuff causes the abnormal reaction. So, uh, you know, I, I modify, I modify the, the, you know, the types of food that I eat on my own because I've been restored to sanity. Be, I, you know, I, I'm recovered. I've returned to normal. What is absolutely unnegotiable non-negotiable is that I could never ever think that somehow some way because I've been doing this for a long enough period of time or everything that I know that I could somehow in some way start ingesting the substances that either do or potentially could cause the phenomenal craving so they you know my my the, the way I function today is that I react sanely and normally to you know substances that cause a phenomenal craving I don't eat them I follow the I follow the nutritional guidelines because they not, they that, that have been provided me by a nutritionist because that allows me to function and live the way that I'm supposed to function and live. I modify at times the different types of proteins or the different you know the different types of vegetables that I either will eat or won't eat. But absolutely, I'm just going to reiterate that never ever says or that never ever uh, comes into consideration. The idea that I can somehow, you know, eat these substances that cause a phenomenal craving. I had a conversation, I'll shut up with this. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they asked me about what I eat. I told them I eat everything I want. I eat, I, I eat everything I want. Everything I want, I eat. And the transformation that has taken place is I only want the food that's on my meal plan. I only want foods that don't cause the phenomenal craving. I live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm free. I'm in a healthy body weight. My mind works the way my God would have my mind work. It's not, you know, convoluted and clouded by the substances I'm putting in my body. The only thing I want to eat are foods that are clean and healthy and nutritious, as close to the way that the creator made them. And I walk, like I said, I walk a free man. I eat everything that I want to eat. And the only thing I want to eat is food that's clean and is free of the substances that cause the phenomenon of craving. Thank you very much, Kathy Kay, for your question. Kathy Kay from Massachusetts. I can't even think of a better way <laughs> to just, you know, shine a light um, on what you presented today by, except for this answer to the question that you offered, Pete. It was phenomenal. And so that will be our last question for today. 
Um, and again, you offer just so much of yourself and expanding on that opportunity by availing yourself for questions and answers this morning. That just heightened the, the focus that we we're looking at today. So we will close within our usual fashion by reading from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.